it really comes down to making sure that like the people that are at the company that are building the product understand what we're trying to do as a company, what our mission is, and have the same level of urgency, the desire to solve problems and remove pain as I do. And if you can create the conditions for that to happen, then I think everything else falls in place naturally. That's Eddie Kim, the co-founder and CTO of Gusto. Gusto was born in 2012 and is now a multi-billion dollar company that helps firms pay their employees, manage benefits, and much more. On this episode, we're talking about scaling up and why Gusto's focus on quality code and engineering mindset was so critical. Making sure that people understand the criticality of sweating the details on some random local tax, that it's important to get that correct down to the cent, right? Eddie also tells us about his own challenges as he scaled from a technical co-founder who coded all day to a leader who empowers others. I was a pretty bad people manager. And so there was a moment where I decided that this is not gonna work and I really need to decide which path I'm gonna go. Am I gonna like stay hands-on keyboard or am I going to really help build the engineering team and scale the organization? Welcome to Crafted, a show about great products and the people who make them. I'm your host, Dan Blumberg. I'm a product and engagement leader at Artium, where my colleagues and I help companies build incredible products, recruit high-performing teams, and help you achieve the culture of craft you need to build great software long after we're gone. People ask the question all the time, like, what is the origin story? What was the moment of inspiration? And I think the reality for many companies that are getting started there isn't really like a very specific like lightning bolt moment. I think it happens over many, many years of observing subconsciously and consciously things around you that over time get you very excited about the problem that you're solving. That's exactly what happened with me. Just observing my mom struggle with things like payroll and, and have to do all of these things that are necessary to keep a small business running. And so I would say that was a big part when I think back on it, of what got me excited about this problem that we decided to start to solve 12 years ago. Got it. And at the time, 12 years ago, I mean, that's Instagram era. What led you to a pretty different type of company than, than what was sort of all the rage at that time? Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I think it's easy now to forget what the environment was and what sorts of companies were getting started back then in 2011. And it was a lot of like mobile, social, local type businesses. It was all about page views and engagement metrics and things like that. The idea of starting a company that does payroll for businesses was not an exciting one at all. And one of our hardest problems that we had to solve when we were starting the company was how to recruit engineers to work on this because like, as soon as you mentioned payroll, they just turn off because they're just like, I don't know if I want to build a payroll system. That sounds kind of lame and boring. But I think if you sit in that space for a while and you focus less on like the actual surface of what you're building and instead dive deeper and focus much more on how big the problem is and how important it is to have the right tools to take care of all the people in your small business, you start to get much more excited about the problem. And so what Gusto was doing 
is about saving people time for things that they're just wasting an inordinate amount of time doing. And instead of that, like giving them something that can help them save their time so they can go back to, you know, why they were starting that business in the first place, right? Just letting them go back to what it is that they wanted to be doing. That's kind of what got us really excited about this business. Awesome. What did version one of the product look like and how'd you iterate from there? So version one was, as you might imagine, um, very, very basic. And essentially, we were trying to build a payroll system that can calculate payroll correctly in the state of California for salaried employees. So it's a very, very narrow slice of what obviously the product does today, which is it does payroll in all 50 states, all localities, does benefits and HR and a bunch of other things for small businesses. But the very, very first version was essentially calculate payroll for the state of California for salaried employees and move the money through the banking system, like the direct deposit system, which is called the ACH system. But at the time, I, was, I didn't know, we didn't know what that was. We just, I just knew it as direct deposit because that's how I got paid. The reason why we started there was at the time, the three of us founders agreed that we would not actually pay ourselves until we could do so using our own system. And we were planning on being salaried employees in the state of California. So we were basically kind of like building it for ourselves. And we wanted to obviously build it for ourselves accurately and not get you know, in trouble with the IRS for like underpaying taxes or anything like that. This is a very extreme version of dog fooding. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And there were, you know, multiple attempts at this. The hardest part, by the way, is actually figuring out how to move money from point A to point B through the ACH system. And one of the challenges there is like, first of all, the system is just like completely antiquated. It still is. But second of all, like, it's kind of one of those things where your cycle time is actually really long because it's not like you compile the code and then you try it out and you look for bugs and then you go fix it like 10 minutes later. You send the file over to the Federal Reserve, essentially, and they process it that evening. And then it's only until the next day that you find out if it actually worked or not. I remember like it was like the fourth try where money actually showed up in our bank account. And it was like the most exciting thing ever. And that's how we knew that we actually had the capability of building a payroll system. And obviously from there, it's like massive expansion because that only solves like a very small slice of the population. But it was a good start. That's awesome. Was there an aha moment when you realized you had, so you had a system that worked, you knew you could pay yourselves and others could pay salaried employees. Was there an aha moment when you realized that you had product market fit? So we were the winter 2012 Y Combinator class and we were obviously surrounded by other startup founders, many of who had done previous startups as well. And we interviewed a bunch of them and asked them, how do you feel about the process you run every two weeks or so paying your employees, running payroll? And universally, the feedback from all of those people that we spoke with was, I would say, like borderline hate because they were like so always so frustrated with just how difficult it is, how much time they spend. And we just got a huge list of things that like people were very, very unhappy about. I don't think I talked to a single person that was, yeah, I actually enjoy running payroll. It's a pretty painless experience for us. That actually never came up in all the times that we talked to people before we started building anything. And so that was our first indication that we were onto something. 
And then we started to get our friends to use the product. We didn't charge them. And that was partially because our goal was not to make money at the time. It was to really just get some more people using the product. And the other more pragmatic reason was we were just so focused on building our product that we never actually built the functionality to build people until much, much later. So we, even if we wanted to charge people, we literally couldn't unless they were going to mail us cash or something like that, which obviously we wouldn't do. And so as we got more people to just take a chance and use us, they started, first of all, just telling us that this is really, really awesome. And it's like much, much better than what they were using before, like ADP or Paycheck or whatever they were using. And then they started to just tell other people about us as they know people in their orbit that are entrepreneurs, that are small business owners. The community is pretty tight knit, not just in like startup land, but in just kind of small businesses in general. And they all talk to each other. And when someone asks a question like in person or in like some sort of forum, like, hey, I'm hiring my first employee, what do you recommend I use for to pay them? Our first customers would always recommend checking out back then Zen Payroll. Now it's called Gusto. And I think that was a good indicator to us that we, we were onto something. As soon as someone likes your thing enough that they are referring when it comes up, that's a good sign that you're onto product market fit. And 12 years later, that is actually still the primary way that we grow. We grow through word of mouth. It's basically our growth is like very heavily weighted on organic growth. And so, and that's just because people really love the product and they're willing to put their reputation on the line by recommending it to other people. I'd love to fast forward to today and understand a little bit better how you prioritize. And maybe if you could also walk us through a little bit of more of the broader scope of what today's product does. Yeah, so today it's a people platform. And essentially our mission as a company is we want to create a world where work can empower a better life. So anything that like falls within that mission is something that we're excited to do at the company. Payroll is obviously a big part of it, but there's so much more than just paying them, right? It's about making sure that they have the right safety nets. That's where like things like health insurance comes in. People have to feel like they're kind of saving up for their retirement. That's where things like 401k comes into play. They need to have mechanisms to do performance reviews for employees to give feedback to each other, to hire people, right? And make offer letters. And when they join, actually make sure that they have a really good organized onboarding. And when they leave, to make sure that they have an organized offboarding. And so all of those things are part of the Gusto People platform. Anything that's part of that whole employment life cycle from interviewing to getting hired to onboarding to leaving the company all the way to like when you have to get Cobra because you left the company and you still want some continuity in your health insurance. Gusto takes care of all of that stuff. I want to get into your approach as an engineer and as an engineering leader. I found an old, very old, like decade old blog post of yours where you shared a cartoon flowchart where engineers are presented with a choice of either code fast or code well. And if they choose code fast, they're led down a path that leads to spaghetti code and doesn't work. And if they choose code well, they never finish their work and the requirements have changed. And then off to the side, there's another joke flow chart with a question mark and it leads to good code. And so I'm interested, what's the secret to good code and how have you helped organize teams to code well and fast at the same time? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's like a defined formula. If there was, let me know. Because <laughs> I'd love to get my hands on that. 
fundamentally, it really comes down to making sure that like the people that are at the company that are building the product understand what is it we're trying to do as a company, what our mission is, and have the same level of urgency, the desire to solve problems uh, and remove pain as I do. And if you can kind of like create the conditions for that to happen, then I think everything else kind of like falls in place naturally. And so it's really about kind of just making sure that there's that alignment, which starts with how you interview and hire and dig a little into the motivations of why someone wants to work at the company. But also when they're in the company, like helping everyone to understand what is it that we're trying to accomplish this year as a company, why that's important. So everyone needs to understand at a high level what we're trying to accomplish. And then also in their immediate world around them with their colleagues and peers and their direct manager, how the work that they're doing day to day contributes to that. And I think when you help people to see that and people get really excited about that, then I think the good code, you know, naturally happens because like you're thinking long term about what we want to do. You're also acting with urgency on what we want to do. And you kind of just realize that every day that you're not shipping, that you're not building is another day that a small business has with some problem, right? And if you just kind of make those connections with engineers, then there's just like this level of empathy that serves as sort of like the fuel for acting with urgency. And then also knowing that some of this stuff is really critical to get right. Can't mess up payroll. You can't move fast and break things there. You have to do things well, not just kind of like string things together and ship it and, and like it works today, but not tomorrow. Can you share a bit more about what you mean when you say do things well? I mean, certainly, like you said, you can't break payroll, right? What are some of the ways that you create, you know, really hardened code? Yeah, I mean, again, I think I always go back to mindset on making sure that people understand the criticality of sweating the details on some random local tax, that it's important to get that correct down to the cent, right? In payroll, you deal with lots of fractions of cents. So even like sweating the fractions of cents and what to do with those. First of all, it comes down to like making sure that everyone understands the criticality of what we're working on, right? And so that mindset is really important. And then beyond that, you know, you have to put in a lot of processes, create a culture of quality in, in the company. So, you know, ever since the beginning, we've always been a very, very sort of heavy test-driven culture. We've been very, very heavy on pair programming and code reviews. And these are all actually kind of, I think, hopefully for most companies, fairly standard practices. But it's also easy to forget, I think, 12 years ago that that wasn't actually so common. But I, I'm very proud that from the beginning, we were always like kind of very, very adamant about it to the point where like, sometimes if something is so ingrained in, in how you do things, people just don't question. It. it just feels wrong when you don't do things in that way, when you kind of skip a code review. I mean, our systems don't even allow you to do that. But like, even if it didn't, it would just feel so wrong to do it because like, it's such an ingrained part of how we write software. So I think those things are really important to establish very early on to ensure that you have high quality code being written. And obviously there's like so many other things that we do to essentially know that we're going to be able to scale our code base in a high quality way. But I do think it really kind of starts at the mindset level. Yeah. So at RDM, we 
practice and help our clients implement XP and, and lots of related principles, test-driven development and all the rest of it, I can say with certainty that not every company employs these principles. Can you share more about how you've grown as an engineering leader? I started out as the primary technical co-founder when we were starting the company. So I was spending day and night, maybe 16, 17 hours a day coding, writing code, and just building the first version of our product. That's basically all I did. I slept, ate, and coded, essentially, for the first couple of years. But then as we started to hire more engineers, I found myself in a spot where I had two jobs now. I had this like people management job of managing the engineering team. At a certain point, you start to have conversations around what career progression looks like, and you have to get feedback and think about like leveling and, and all these things that come with hiring a team of engineers. I started to have to spend some more time on. If there were bugs or issues, that felt like an obligation to fix those things. And I found myself like pretty stretched between those two things. And I had a bias towards the coding part because that's what I love. I'm an engineer at heart. There's no faster passage of time for me than when I'm sitting in a computer and, and coding. Like I can go all day and like eight hours will feel like two hours to me. I'll skip meals. And so that's kind of what happened where I would just work on my feature and like I would, you know, miss meetings or I would keep rescheduling them. And I was pretty productive in terms of writing software, but I was a pretty bad people manager. And so there was a moment where I decided that like, this is not going to work. And I really need to decide which path I'm going to go. Am I going to like stay hands-on keyboard or am I going to really help build the, the engineering team and scale the organization? Essentially, I was like presented with this fork in the road. And I remember going to New York and taking a whole bunch of management books <laughs> and just holding myself up in a hotel room and trying to like read all of these books to really just kind of like immerse myself in the art and the science of managing teams and scaling engineering teams. And like a lot of things, as you spend more time on something and you dedicate yourself to it, you find aspects of it that you really, really enjoy. And then as you spend even more time on it, you realize that this is an entirely new, very interesting field on its own. And there's so much to learn and there's so much to get excited about. And that's exactly what happened with me. As you kind of like spent more time on something, on the people management side, I started to enjoy it a lot more. I started to get better at it. And when you get better at something, you also enjoy things a lot more. And it becomes like a, a virtuous cycle, right? I understand your role is changing a little bit right now. You've just brought in a new senior engineering leader. What's your role today and what's next for you and Gusto? Yeah, so we've been hiring some incredible leaders at Gusto. What that's enabled me to spend time on is more on the longer term technical initiatives of Gusto. And there's a lot of other like very long term technical strategy things that I'm going to be working on. But my job is shifting to focus a lot more on the long term. I've now started to immerse myself very deeply in the exciting new world of artificial intelligence and artificial neural networks and generative AI. And I think in order for me to really have a good opinion on how this is going to help our customers over the next five to 10 years, it requires me to kind of really dive deep into what is driving this technology, understand it, and just as before, get better at it. And that getting better at it is going to get me more excited about it and spend more time on it. And that's going to get me better at it. 
And then hopefully this is going to eventually turn into something that benefits our customers and saves them time and, and helps them build their small business in a way that they've never been able to before. And so I'm really excited for this next chapter of my role at the company. Awesome. You said you need a little more time before you have a good opinion on it, but I am interested to know if you have some hunches right now or some areas of exploration when it comes to generative AI. I think like broadly categorized right now at this moment in time into two buckets. One is how generative AI can augment a lot of our back office that we have at Gusto. And two is how AI can help our customers do all the things that they do on Gusto, not through a graphical user interface, a GUI, but a conversational user interface. And what things are better done through natural language and conversation versus like clicking around on a web page and, and click on hyperlinks. So on the first one, you know, you can kind of in some ways think about Gusto as abstracting away a lot of the complexities that governments have created, massive insurance carriers have created that are essentially serve as barriers for someone who wants to just start a business. There still is a lot of very crazily antiquated things that we have to do on behalf of our customers, right? And I think AI has the potential to augment how we do those things more efficiently. The second area is more on the customer-facing aspect of how can a conversational user interface be used to save our customers more time? We are already finding that many things, not all things, but many things are done much better through this conversational interface that they can take 10 times less time to do than pointing and clicking around and filling out lots of fields on a web page and hitting the submit button. And so I think this is a potential huge time saver for our customers, for small businesses who have a lot of other things to do than to you know fill things out and run payroll through a graphical user interface. That's awesome. That's really exciting. And we should chat in you know six months or a year when you've unlocked some of this and figure this out for your clients. Eddie, thanks so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Dan, for having me. Really enjoyed it. That's Eddie Kim, and this is Crafted from Artium. If you're looking to go fast and not break things, let's talk. At Artium, we love partnering with visionaries to help them build incredible products, recruit high-performing teams, and achieve the culture of craft you need to build great software long after we're gone. You can learn more about us at thisisartium.com and start a conversation by emailing hello at thisisartium.com. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and ask a friend to check out the show. There's one thing that I've learned is just, doesn't hurt to ask.